Hi, welcome to Comics Unscripted, the podcast from Foreign Press Comics. I'm your host, Kyler Merrill, and today we have Frankie Washington. He is the artist on the series Kaijus and Cowboys, which is on Kickstarter now, hopefully until um, middle of May-ish, we're thinking. So, um, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. And actually, I'm a co-creator as well, so yes, co-creator yeah. and artist. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I forgot to mention that. No, no, so, no, no worries, no worries. Hey, I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was saying, it's sometimes I can understand, like, that'll get lost in the mix um sometimes because people will be like oh yeah you guys are just like a writer and artist and it's like yeah but we're, we're co-creators it's like i you know we, we we both have hammered out some of the ideas and then i do the, the illustration and concept art and stuff like that so yeah and like i just think it's like i i well like when i say that i usually mean like i i always think the artist is like the co-creator sure, sure, and sure. for most everything i do like the artist is one of the people they invented a whole like the whole visual half of the book you know sure. so it's like all there i think they're inherently a co-creator you know but um, yeah, you would yeah, think so, so. You're definitely, <laughs> you would think so you're right but, but sometimes right. again it's, it's it's all about like uh i don't know you know term it uh, you, you you almost have to vocalize it sometimes for people mm-hmm. to really grasp yeah. it you know i mean you could we could sit here like the, the whole argument between jack kirby and stan lee for instance mm-hmm. you know and there's always even to now where people debate the fact of who created what yeah. Who brought what to what, you know, that kind of thing. And that's one of the things that me and Matthew, because um, our relationship has been, God, I feel like we're going almost on six years. Like it, it, like just our, our relationship of just working together and stuff like that. And it all started with a webcomic. But I mean, we've had those kind of talks where we were like, look, you know, if we do something together, then it's like, you know, you, you know, people got to know you did this and I did that and such and such. So we understand that there's this, this equal balance. Yeah. It. Yeah. And there's, I think there's a lot of value to like you just vocalizing your, like your, your, you know, you take credit that you deserve, you know, sure. you deserve that credit for sure. that. And so it's important to, to be that. And so, you know, I, like I said, I didn't do that out of, and I, I know you, oh, yeah. I'm no not, worries. I know you're yeah, not no worries. To, yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. So anyway, like I said, we're here to talk about Kaijus and Cowboys, sure. um, which I read the first issue of, and then the was well, zero issue. You, you got the zero yeah, issue yeah, and, then, zero, and then issue one, one. and yeah. And so, um, and the, the, the preview of issue two. So, um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, sure. um, Ooh, that's something else to ask about. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking of questions as I go. Oh, excellent. Just I love it. Generating love it. stuff to talk about. But, um, yeah, so the team is, it's Matthew Blair, it's you, and then it's Mike Stockholm letters. Yes. And, um, there's a lot of different things I want to talk about, but, um, why don't you kind of go ahead and give us. I want to know about you first of all. Oh, so like, fantastic! How did you right. become a a creator, and oh, like, man. what were kind of some of those things that made you <laughs> not just like get you into comics, but like, sure. I'm always interested in like the things that made people oh, want boy. to create. Like, made you right. like what made you realize this is an opportunity? Oh boy! Well, well, if we're gonna go back, I'm actually gonna be turning 53 this year. Oh. I know I always get people go, "You're 53," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." It's like so um, we're talking, I'm a child of the 70s, born 1970, and into the 80s. So Bronze Age, I'm in the whole Bronze Age segment right yeah. there of comics. And so I, the earliest memories I have is that I remember my mom would, when she go grocery shopping, used to have the brown paper bags. And while I would be in the kitchen with her, supposedly, quote unquote, helping her, she would rip off a piece of the brown paper bag and hand it to me and then say, here's a pencil and let me draw. And I would okay. draw while she put away the groceries and stuff. And so it, I just remember that vaguely in my mind as being the earliest age where I was just drawing. I was just fascinated. I loved drawing, 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 just drawing all kind of crazy stuff. Now, as time went on, um, I, I think my first influence, the first comic book I had was a, a Spider-Man comic. Um, I grew up in Boston, by the way, and it was a place called JP. And um, it was the projects. Um, and I remember, like, in this projects, there was a... When you left out the project, there was a school bus that this guy had transformed into a store. Nice. So he, tra- he took a school bus and he transformed. So when you went through the back door, that was like a steps that led up into it. And then inside would be like a store, a small store. And I remember he had a spinning rack and it was a Spider-Man comic. And so I, I you know, I got the Spider-Man comic and I remember sort of, I went through the whole process, you know, tracing, trying to understand yeah. it and stuff, but I was really fascinated with it. Um, 
my fascination with it was, you know, it was there. It was like, I love the colors and stuff like that, but still there was something missing. I learned earlier on that I loved robots and I loved monsters. I mean, I love the universal monsters. I love the Wolfman, Lon Chaney's Wolfman. I love the Invisible Man. I love Frank Stein. I like all those classic monsters. But it was really seeing, when it, when it came to, to seeing, well, King Kong, but then Godzilla, the first Godzilla yeah. movie. I remember seeing it, and it's something just, it just snapped in me. It just, it changed, where I was like, wow, that's really incredible. This wasn't just a dragon or anything. It was a giant creature, mm-hmm. and it was powerful, and, you know, and humanity's fighting back against them, and, and they can't somewhat defeat this creature. Like, it took a lot to try to defeat him. Yeah. And so, as time went on, now we're, now we're moving from the 70s into the early 80s, uh, they, you know, they just started releasing more of the, what, they, what, we, what the fan base would call the Showa era, of Toho movies, Godzilla. So you start seeing yeah. the costumes started changing. You started seeing um, Godzilla and other creatures started coming. And it was much more mm-hmm. colorful, almost in the Ultraman kind of feel yeah, where they're yeah, battling yeah. one another. But it still had a seriousness to it. Mm-hmm. It was almost like, you know, they still were attempting to tell these really great stories. Um, but it did have that kind of little hokiness to it. And I loved it. Yeah. I mean, then my mind was like, I want to go. That was my dream. I was like, I want to go to Japan and I want to be the person that designs cool monsters. There you go. But but earlier on, I was like, I want to get paid to do it. It wasn't like mm-hmm. just doing it where I want to be a starving artist mm-hmm. <laughs> and for yeah. the joy of drawing and be like, yeah, you know, you give me what you can give me. I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. I want to get paid to do that. So uh, as I was going on, then came the the influx of uh, giant robot shows, animation shows. And in Boston at the time, um, there was a there was a, a block of cartoons called Force Five on channel 25 and that was when it really changed everything because these shows are from japan and what happened was um this american guy uh, named jim terry um had a jim terry productions went over over um over to japan and i guess purchased the rights for a bunch of different uh japanese giant robot shows and then he transformed into force five and then monday through friday you would watch these shows play out mm-hmm. and when i saw that it was it was just like something it just took it to the next level so it was godzilla and then i saw that and i was like oh my god and then as things began to sort of you know sort of roll a little bit uh Mm -hmm. my mom took me to it was in dedham dedham mass she took me to this place called child world now child world was this massive giant toy store it's a precursor to toys r us it was a place where kids were like, you go there. It's like a dream to go there. And I never forget yeah, when she yeah. took me there. As I'm walking through the door, I see the spinner rack. It's a big spinner rack. And so I'm like, oh, my God, there's comics. And I mean, back then, you could get like 10 comics for like, I don't know, like five bucks. Mm-hmm. 10 comic books for like five bucks. And I remember, you know, looking at them and sort of doing the spinner rack. And they're all in plastic. And lo and behold, I saw the first issue of the Shogun Warriors comic book by Marvel Comics. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my, oh my gosh, you know, this, this is it. I was like, I love yeah, comics. I love comics. And you're actually doing a comic book with giant robots mm-hmm. that I love in it. That means that maybe as I grow up and if I work hard, then maybe I can work for a Marvel comics or somebody like that mm-hmm. and do giant robots and monsters yeah. and get paid doing it. So yeah. that was when the real start, it started kicking in where it was like, I want to I want to do something with myself. I'm very fortunate that during the time of the 80s, um, yeah, mid 80s and stuff, because I ended up graduating in 88. So it was during the 80s that I had amazing teachers who saw something in me um, because, you know, you're, you're, you're in high school and you're in at that stage where you're trying to still kind of figure it out. Yeah. I knew I could draw and I drew all the time, but I also I was good at some other stuff, too. I had a lot of other lofty. I thought I was going to go in the Air Force. I thought I was going to be a robotic engineer but I sucked at math. <laughs> you know, I had all these, I started having lossy stuff, but I had teachers who were just, they were like, okay, Frank, um, we know you like these things, but we know you, we see you when you draw. So we want to put you in a program. So in my final two years of high school, they put me into this, this, this program um, that was to help, you know, sort of guide students to mm-hmm. potential careers. So it, it was called the ORC yeah. Occupational Resource Center. And so half day I would go there, then half day out, then the rest of the half day I could either go back to my home school. So I went there and then it specialized in illustration. But they also did broadcasting. Like say if you you want to be inside broadcasting or know anything about doing um mm-hmm. TV or, or whatever, 
you would go in there and you would learn these different things. It was, it was almost okay. establishing. It was a stepping stone yeah. so that if you graduate, then you can go, okay, now I want to go into these other programs. So mm -hmm. that's what happened. They put me in this program for illustration. And then they also were like, okay, well, guess what? There's other programs. Um, like there's a Saturday program. There's a Saturday morning program at Mass College of Art. Um, would you want that? And I said, yeah. So I yeah. took that. So I took advantage um, mm -hmm. during that time of all the programs that they had. And, um, and it's unfortunate because once I graduated 88, it seems like that's when they started cutting a lot of programs. It was like as soon as 88, 89, and going into 1990, a lot of those programs that I was part of got cut. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it just was the end. But, um, you know, I took advantage of it. And then finally, when I was graduating from the program in 88, um, they, they called me up. I never forget it. I was, I was scared too, man. I thought it's like, you know, as a kid, you're always wondering like, did I do something? Cause I, I was a mischievous, yeah, kid, yeah, yeah. but I was yeah. good. I was yeah, good. Yeah. I did my schoolwork, but you know, I did some mischievous stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I remember this, this, this one, one of the adults came to get me. They said, Hey Frank, come here. We got, I was like, okay, what's going on? They were like, come on, come on. We're going we're gonna to talk. And I was like, all right. So they're leading me down the hallway and they open this their door and there's all these adults sitting at a table. So they all look at me. And I'm, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm crapping myself. I'm like, what? Is, you know, I'm going through my head thinking yeah. of anything that I might have done mm -hmm. to have all these adults looking at me. And they just looked at me and they said, OK, they said, well, Mr. Washington, we just want to just um, congratulate you on being one of our scholars. Okay. And so I got a scholarship. They were like, I was nice. like, oh, my God, are you serious? They was like, yeah. They was like, you're one of X amount of kids. Yeah. You just got the scholarship. Now go find our school. You know, if you want to be in this high school. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God. So I did. I started, I went to, I went to, I went to go check out an architectural school. I was like, no, nah, I'm not an architect. Um, the Joe Cuban school contacted me. I do remember that. Oh, sweet. Yeah, they contacted me, but I was, I was at that, that stage in my life where I, I didn't want to leave Boston. Mm. I was like, I, I was scared. I was just like, yeah. I don't want to go to New Jersey and not, not, you know, be near friends and family, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I could do it. So then another school popped up. Well, there was Mass College of Arts, and but I was like, I don't want to go for a degree. Not like that. It wasn't like yeah. I was trying to become a teacher. I wanted mm -hmm. to really be able to become a working artist. You know, I want to have a career. I want to yeah. get paid for my skills. And, you know, and I believe that there was artists doing that. So then finally you the last- to create. I wanted to create stuff, but also make a living. Yeah. So I like a mechanic. So I like a plumber. So I like a carpenter, an electrician. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, there must be something like that, you know? And I went to a school that actually specialized in it. They, it was called Butera School of Art. It was located on Beacon Hill or Beacon Street. And it was a small school. And it focused on commercial illustration and sign painting. Mm -hmm. And the teachers who went there all were like people who actually were students at one time. And they all worked in the industry in some facet of the in industry. So I had one yeah. of my teachers did like illustrations for like Parker brother games, that kind of stuff. Okay. Like they did, yeah, they worked, they were like, yeah. One of my teachers did like drawings for like, um, uh, newspaper insets, inserts and stuff like that. You know, they, they were all yeah. like their whole mentality when I went there was that they were like, well, we want you to understand that, um, we don't believe in, in starving artists. Mm -hmm. That was adamant. I never forget that. They were like, we don't believe in that. We believe mm -hmm. yeah. that you have a skill. And that there are people, companies out there that will pay you to utilize your skill. And I was like, okay. And, and when I went in, I went in with my comic work and whatever and some other mm -hmm, stuff, yeah. some life drawings. And they really thought that I was going to be like this big time. I was going to get into comic books and stuff. But as, as my, it was a three-year school, so I ended up getting my, my three-year certificate for being a commercial illustrator. Um, but after those three years, I wasn't thinking comics. It was mm -hmm. strange. Plus, plus during that time, I, you know, I, and I've always worked, I've worked like a job since, since yeah. I was 12, I've always been a hustler. Uh -huh. And so even when I went to school, you know, I, I, I put myself through school working in security. So I was working at a security company as well as going to school. I was very dedicated. Mm -hmm. And I remember my security company, they really loved me. Like I did a good job and they were like, Hey yeah. Frank, they were at Washington, you know, you know, the next step of being a security guard is like armed, armed security. Mm -hmm. They were like, you can make, we really like you, you, you show initiative and stuff like that. But um, I, my sergeant came to me and he said, he had to talk with me. And he said, Frank, he said, I've seen you, you do great work, but I also see that you draw and I see that it lights it up and it makes you happy. And you, and you just, you're going, you're putting yourself through school. 
He said, mm -hmm. you have to be honest with yourself. Why did you go to school? Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't go to school yeah. to be, to do security, you yeah. know, pretty much. And, um, and he was right. I didn't go to school mm -hmm. to do security. I went to school to make a living as a commercial illustrator. So it was like maybe two years after I graduated from art school that I made that final decision. I had to stop, I stepped away and I don't forget it too. It was one of those things where, um, you know, uh, I looked to the heavens and I, you know, I was raised Baptist and I went mm -hmm. to Catholic school and stuff, yeah. but, you know, but during that time I really was going through a change of my own spirituality and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I looked to the skies and I said, Lord, I said, all I'm asking is that I just need one gig to drop something just to uh -huh. come across my table. Yeah. And I said, that's going to be the thing that's going to get me started. And I said, I'm never going to look back. And lo and behold, it did. There you go. It was, it was a small production studio, movie production studio in Waltham that did movies. And, um, and they had, um, they needed somebody to do storyboards. Uh -huh. And so I, I, they brought me on part-time. So I was, so it was crazy. I didn't own a car. I, you know, grew up in the city, so I was taking the tea. So it was insane. I don't even know how I did those hours, but I did them. Um, yeah. So I did security for a little bit more. And then I, I worked there at the productive studio. And eventually I said, look, I can't keep doing this. So mm -hmm. I said, is there any way you guys can hire me? And they did. They hired me full time. There you go. And so that was the start. And I worked on two feature feature films uh, and, and got, I was so shocked when I, I saw my name in the credits. You yeah, know, because yeah. I went when I went to the show, they were like, "Hey, Washington, look at that!" And my name was right in the credits for storyboards. Yeah, and it, and it blew my mind. So that was the first start, and then after that, I just was hustled. I hustled and was like, "I gotta mm -hmm. keep this thing going." And so I, after yeah. that, I bounced into animation. Um, I worked in an animation studio. It's closed now. My school is closed now too, by the way. Mm -hmm. But the animation yeah. studio I worked for was called Olive Jar Animation. A lot of um, tremendous animators. Some animators who were my roommates end up leaving, I, I leaving um, Boston and headed out West. And then they worked on like mm -hmm. Adventure Time. One of my roommates um, oh, okay. actually won an Emmy on Adventure Time and stuff. Uh, King uh, King of the Hill. Um, God, a few other stuff too. But they were really yeah. talented. And I learned, and again, and, and while this is going on, I'm picking up stuff from all these different yeah, people. Yeah. I mean, I'm being inundated by like sculptors, um, mm -hmm. directors, uh, you know, just, just people who really were doing a different form of artwork that, than I yeah. was doing. Cause I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm doing storyboards, which is still in the, the line of sequential artwork, like comic books, but I'm like, wow. So I just was soaking it all up mm -hmm. until finally, um, I think things had got a little rough and I, and I was just like, I got to make some more money. And so a friend yeah. of mine who I went to school with had told me, he said, Frank, um, he's like, you know, we went to school and they taught us about advertising. And I was like, oh, boy, I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of holding off on getting into advertising, yeah. you know, because I just was like, ah, mm -hmm. you know, because the, the thing was, I was scared. I was afraid. I was yeah. afraid because advertising is not, you know, you, you're, you're drawing products. You're not drawing yeah. superheroes. <laughs> you know, if, if you're lucky yeah. and, and, and it happens to be a campaign with superheroes, yeah. then yay! But pretty much you're drawing like, you know, a product. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you got to eat, right? Yeah, I know exactly. one of my mentors told me, he said, Frank, he said, you like to eat, right? I said, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's evident. And he said, um, you like clothes on your back, right? I said, yeah. He said, you like to, yeah. you like to be warm, don't you? And I mm -hmm. said, yeah. I said, yeah, it gets yeah. chilly around here in the Northeast, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. he said, he said, well, there you go. He said, then get your hustle up. And so yeah. I, um, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say that's kind of one of the things that like, uh, and you mentioned it earlier too, like how they mentioned that there's no such thing as a starving artist. Like, that's one of the things that really defined me. I'm a I'm a teacher by yes. trade, and so um, one of the things that like really stuck with me is in my like in my final year of teaching while we were doing our student teaching, we had a little seminar mm -hmm. that we had to go to at college like once a week, and the guy who taught it, he like made very, he told us that it was kind of a shocking kind of thing. He just yes, like, don't do it because you love it. Yeah, and his what he meant by that was. Don't be one of those people who just, you know, teaches and deals with all the crap from parents and yes. administration and all yes. this stuff just yes. because, oh, you teachers, you teach because you love it or like nurses yeah. do it yeah. because they love to help. And like, yeah. no, you still deserve to be paid and yes. deserve to be treated like a yes. human being. And that's one of the most be beneficial things that I heard. And it sounds like it's kind yeah. of the same thing for you. It's, is that it's, yeah, it's been detrimental. It has caused more harm. That whole romantic, because I remember I was listening, I was listening to uh, someone on a YouTube thing and they, and they really brought it home where they just said, 
the romanticizing. Yeah. You feel romanticized, that whole idea yeah. of the starving artist. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, yeah, you know, I'm doing this cause and I'm poor. But dude, you're poor. And I mean really poor. Like you're sleeping on someone else's couch. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's like, you know, yeah. come on, man. It's like, you know, we, we have a skill set. Mm-hmm. I am no different than the plumber. I am yep. no different than the electrician. I am no different than any other contractor out there. Yep. Why should I not reap? something from my skills because I'm helping to make other people money. And I'm telling you, once I, once I finally did get into advertising, that was a wake up call. It was an amazing, it was like, I wish in some degree, most artists, advertising has changed. It's not like how it used to be. Um, It used to be like you had the studio setting and inside and it, I wish every artist could experience a little bit of that. It's Mm -hmm. hard. It's brutal. But I'm telling you, if you could stick your hang in there, you will learn so much about mm. yourself and just about the sense of how things move, how, how, how yeah. business is, yeah, yeah. It operates and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I soaked in. I learned about deadline. I learned how to um, just communicate with people, how to deal with various creatives, how to deal with a client who is not being very kind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, it's still, yeah. it's, it, because I was young. There was, I was still in my 20s. And I had a, I had a, 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 a temper, a somewhat of a temper. Um, I would say I was very short tempered and I took things very personal. And so I needed to learn. I needed to go through the process of learning that um, that's not how the way things are, you know, that you, that you have to find ways to be able to communicate with people. Even if you, if you, if you disagree with someone, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And, and that just, you know, for me, that, that all comes from when I, I, I ended up getting therapy to help myself. Once I got into yeah. advertising, I was like, okay, I'm making some money. I got I to gotta go talk to somebody about these things because mm-hmm. I, I, I love myself and I love my career. And I don't want to destroy my career because Frankie's going to vomit something out or yeah. try to wring somebody's neck. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, so, so, yeah. I'm, I was just going to say, I'm definitely with you on, on, on that just in terms of like, I've kind of, like I've gone through the I've done the therapy thing before yep. and then you know n- and now I'm kind of coming back to it because just recently like nothing crazy but just you know sure. it's just like just that feeling of like just full of just yes. emotion and just like everything yes. and I'm just like I have to start going back so like I'm that's what I'm about, I have to do tomorrow is like make some phone calls to some counselors around here but like well, it's just that same thing is just you know it, it builds up and eventually like you have yep. to do that. Well, I, I bet you, I probably, I, I can almost feel that. Does the internet have anything to do with a little bit of that? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, nothing else. Yeah. It's just like, um, like, I, I, the best way I can think to put it is like peer pressure and like mm-hmm. the feeling of competition because I see all these other people, especially on yep. Twitter and things, yep. like that are putting out comics like every week, every month on sure. top of the day job. People have sure. the same day job I do, and they're just doing all this work. And putting stuff out constantly. Sure. I'm over here barely keeping that myself together, barely sure. putting anything out. And sure. it just makes me feel so like behind. And so it's just like, but I, then I constantly have to remind myself like, no, you're not behind. You're just working at your pace. And, you know, eventually like, if things it. work out, they work out. That's if they it. don't, they don't. But it's still just like hard to, it's hard to come to terms with that when you see it constantly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's the thing that's happened. I see. I remember my very first comic book. I know I'm bouncing all over the place. My very first comic. I did create a own. I I did create a own my own comic book years ago, and it was like in 1993. So that was literally 1991. I graduated from art school, and in 1993, I actually did put out my own comic book. It was called Peace, and so I've been on the comic book scene off and on since say 1993. So like going to cons. I mean, I've gone to all. I went to New York Comic Con. I went to, I mean, newly. When I say went, like table, table at yeah. San Diego Comic Con twice. Um, went went to uh, when New York had um, New York had a few cons at the time. I think there was one. God, I wish I remember. I know they had a Madison Square Garden one, and I feel like there was a Midtown one, but and then Boston. I mean, I I used to hit every show you can imagine. I was in it, mm-hmm. and I can tell you right now, I've seen. The changes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to comic books and just how overall how people um, sort of treat comic books and, and, and the development of comic mm-hmm. books. Um, one of the things I I noticed was back in the day, comic books was a sense like you could go down Artist Alley and you could. You know, for me, I would go down there and I would see all this 
different art. Like I'm, I grew up in a sense where I love all comic book art. I find it, all yeah. of it fascinating. So you're talking underground. I love underground comics. I love outlaw comics. I love indie comics, which I compress in because I feel like when people use the term indie comics, that's all that. So so underground comics yeah. and outlaw comics, those really hardcore, the rugged kind of, they're all connected yeah, yeah, to yeah. them. And then you have yeah. mainstream. And you have mainstream. Yeah. So to me, um, I I was very open to that stuff. I soaked it all in. Uh, but this is before the internet, mind you. Mm-hmm. So you're talking yeah. like from the 80, well, from late 80s into 90s. This is before the internet where you physically had to go out, you had to pick up something in your hand, or you had to go to Newberry Comics or Tower Records or any of these places to get a comic book or a comic book or your own local comic book store. And so you had this this tactile, this kind of experience with the comic book. Now, the coming of the internet. What I've noticed with the internet, unfortunately, is that the sense of people who are kind of, I don't know, it's like a sense of, there's this level of trying to find perfection will mm-hmm. come. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I don't know yeah. if I'm expressing it right, but there's a sense of like, for me, comic books were about the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so it's, a, it's the process. Like for us, and I'll, I'll slip in Codgers and Cowboys. Me, me and Matthew had a talk and I said, Matthew, I want to do comic books that I grew up with back in the Bronze Age. Yeah. That means that I want to do something. Like the, our first run with our comic book right now is 12 issues. Because we set that 12 issue as a milestone marker, just so we say we got to get to 12 issues. Yep. Now, if, if things go really well, then we'll, of course we'll go past that. But I was like, regardless of what, I want to do more than four issues. I want to do more than six issues. Mm-hmm. Because I think that when the 90s started coming in, you started seeing that. You started seeing yeah. well, four issue limited series. Uh, first, it was 12 issues because yeah. I remember Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. And then it started, you yeah. started seeing the numbers drop. Six, I think there was mm-hmm. six issues and then four issues. And what happened was, when you see that, what it's doing is, is, is chi- it was chipping away at that thing that made comic books wonderfully addictive. It was the loyalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That means that, that, means that yeah. if me and you are working together as a team, we were on this for like not yeah. four issues, not six issues, not 12 issues, but 20 yeah. and up. That's how you really knew. It was like 20 plus. Yeah. And exactly. then you go, yeah, 30. And there was a sense of loyalty with the fandom, with your, your, the readers. The readers yeah. come in every week. Because I, I was there, man. I remember getting New Mutants, X-Men. I'm like, I got to get this. It was like a soap opera. I wanted to yeah. know. It wasn't, I didn't have the internet telling me every single day about what their hypothesis about yeah. the story was. Mm-hmm. It was just that I would talk to my people that were right there in front of me. And we, we, we would have our imaginations go wild. But because of the internet, we we've seen to have lost that sense of just like you know let's try to experiment with something else and let's try to go for something mm-hmm. that's the journey yeah and stop I, worrying about yeah go ahead i'm sorry well i was just gonna say i i kind of had a I, I mean i think it's somewhat similar to what you're saying mm-hmm. i i had it recently where i i i just kind of had this i don't know if it was an epiphany or what you call it but like i just kind of had this moment where i just realized i was like i can't keep doing this because mm-hmm. i just realized that like i was trying to be this I was trying to build a company at the same time as I'm trying yep. to make my name for myself as an individual yep. Yep. at the same time I'm trying to do a day job. And I just kind of had this realization where I was like, I can't do it. Yes. And so I just had to, I forced myself and I'm, I've limited myself now to two projects at a time, two comic projects. Yeah. At a time. And it's a lot of work, which I, and I, and I need more than one thing just because my brain is sure. ADD and I need, you know, and like, so, you know, and it helps because, you know, if I get stuck on writing one thing, I can move to the art on this thing. If I get stuck on that art, I go back to writing the other project and back and forth and I can bounce back and forth. But like limiting myself, I think at least it has eased my mind. I still have that pressure to like do a lot of stuff, but mm-hmm. it's eased my mind in terms of like, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm still forcing myself to get into that thought process. Yes. But like I have to limit myself because yeah. Yeah, I can't. If I keep pushing myself to the where I'm just like so focused on, I got to put out this, I got to put out mm-hmm. this, I got to put out that, then it's just like I lose the journey and I don't make exactly. those things that I enjoy exactly. making that I want to yes. make. I told Matthew, me and Matthew had a hard talk because Matthew, I almost feel that he's almost similar to how you are in the sense mm-hmm. of, you know, because I've worked for many agencies. I worked for many agents. I worked in production. And I'm telling you right now, um, and you're talking multi-million dollar accounts, by the way. Mm-hmm. They don't do anything super fast. Yeah. 
they have an actual production schedule. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, that's, the, thing I have to tell and that's the thing. And I remember having a talk with Matt. I said, Matt, you got to understand, we have to have a production schedule. You have to give yourself time to be able to, um, if you need to, work on your story, make the edit, mm -hmm. look at it with a keen eye. If you don't have an editor, then you really got to focus both of you. You know, you got to stare, stare at it, stare at it, stare at it. Make sure that everything feels to the place where you feel comfortable with it before mm -hmm. you try to put it out. And the thing is, is that even in films, there's a production schedule. When they work from the point when we see the movie, you're talking about a year, yeah. sometimes two years. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why it exists, because there has to be a level of time also for people just to breathe. We're creatives. Yeah. We're not we're not robots. I mean, even though I love robots, we're not yeah. automatons. So yeah. you just so psychologically. You have to have time so you can breathe. Like I'm married, I want to spend time with my wife. You know, as I, as I once I crossed that fifty mark, I was yeah. like, I, I'm not, I don't want to be doing the stuff that I did when I was back in my twenties, thirties, and what. Back then, I was, I was insanely a machine. I was doing, working yeah. with clients from abroad and everything, doing deadlines. I mean, I, I remember staying at once twenty four hours with another artist, just yeah. trying to crank, trying to beat a deadline for storyboards mm -hmm. because they were like, we need it. I've I've yep. been there. I've lived that. So my my this part of my life now, I'm very mindful that I I, I don't want to do that again. And I don't yep. have to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I set the rules. The rule is take the time, breathe, learn to learn to learn to relax. That's why the way we, we handle um Codgers and Cowboys, I'm working on issue six right now. Like I got the pages yeah. back there. Mm -hmm. But we're only just getting on issue two. Yeah. Just putting out that's one of the yeah. things about it. I sat there and I said, I said, you know, I, I said, Matthew, we have to do this experiment. We have to try to see if we can do that same kind of uh, Bronze Age formula mm -hmm. of putting something out and then seeing if people are going to come back for it. If we can hook people into that and make sure. Now, the, the key is, is that we have to be consistent. We have to be consistent. Yeah. That means we can't spend two to three years saying, OK, well, here you go. There's one book. And then two years later, we'll see you again for issue number yeah. two. You can't, you can't be that. You have to have some yeah. level of consistency. You know, we're not we're not putting out monthly or whatever, but we're saying every few months we're gonna see if we can try to get some stuff out. But we got to make sure that it is the best that we do. Now, yeah. am am I looking for super perfection? No, I know com the whole point of comic books. If people really gonna go back to the history of them, they were a cheap form of entertainment. Yeah. You could get a comic exactly. book for ten cents. That was the golden age, or even less than that. And then, and when I grew up, I remember comic books, 25 cents, 35 cents. They were a yeah. cheap form of entertainment for children and then adults as well. Yeah. And then something happened in the 90s where a lot of the companies, especially Western companies, decided to flip the formula and said, we're going to only focus on the speculative market. We're only going to focus mm -hmm. on yeah. the, the, the people who are collectors. Um, and yep. that meant that once you once you only do, and I collect artwork as well. I'm a collector myself. But once you start focusing mm -hmm. on collectors, now you begin creating a, a, a product that yeah. is gonna the price mm -hmm. might exactly. be start pushing further away from where children who, exactly. who who are your main you know your main customer yeah. base can't get it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. That's why when I see the argument when people talk about manga and and American comics, I go, yeah, but here's the funny thing. Manga never changed their formula. Yeah. Okay, real quick. I'm going to yeah. cut you off just because yeah. you got cut off there for a little bit. You froze. And so oh, oh, okay. Sorry. Get all that. All right. So, yeah. I, I Yeah. No no worries. I just don't want you to keep going because we just missed the oh, whole okay. chunk of what you said. So, I didn't want to mess oh, no. that up and lose all that. I can repeat but, it again. Um, yeah. Well, I, well just, I was going to say um, we'll go ahead and take a quick break for an ad. And sure. then um, we'll be right back. Okay, cool. All right, and we're back. Um, I'm gonna write that down because I'll forget. <laughs> and I say that every time because I can't tell you how many times I've had to scrub through an episode looking for. Oh I man, it sucks. Cause oh, you get the best job. You're like editing. Yeah, no, I yeah. yeah. I to, well, I mean, yeah. I don't even edit that much. I just yeah. edit like you know. I just have to go put a little pause. But still, if I don't write it down, then I have to go listen sure. to you know however long I'm into the episode and find like okay, here's the okay, write it down there. Uh, <laughs> right on. Anyway, um, <laughs> but so I I I do have um, some questions I do want to ask you about the book. Um, sure. 
sorry to kind of take a, a left turn there, but I do have some some things that I want to um sure. to ask about. Um, was one you you talked about like how this is like your um like you talked it's kind of that old school Marvel formula where um yes. you're you're both working together on this equally you and uh matthew and yes you know it's kind of a question of like who created what not that you're like arguing over it sure, but sure the thing that interested me a lot was um the um in this is just a, a question and then you know hopefully we can we can get something out of it but um you um the th- one of the things that really stood out to me about the book was the um the lettering of it and particularly yes. the the sfx and so like is yes. that you or is that your letterer um mike Doing uh, the, I do uh, the SFX. I do the SFX. Okay. Yes, that's all hand so, drawn. Like, yep. Oh yeah, I, I, that's what I was gonna say because it definitely it fits it fits the the feel of the art and everything. Yes. That's one of those things they tell you in lettering, and so like, um, I don't. Know, I just wanted to point that out that that was one of the things that really. I don't even consider myself a letterer. I'll, I'll immediately tell people I go. Um, I feel like graphic graphic designers, like I'm not a graphic designer. A yeah. graphic designer is a special a, a special skill set. That is, and I have a lot of respect because I work with a lot of graphic designers. I mean, people who really understand typography, they understand the weights. It's, it's a whole other science. I, I'm an illustrator. I draw yeah. stuff. And the thing about it is that um, when I grew up, many of those artists back then would draw some of the special, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the special effects. And so, and then, you know, and, and also the letterers would do it too. Um, and I just look at, at the special effects as just being part of the art. It's just a, another extension yeah. of the artwork. Yeah, and that's, that's what they yeah. say. I'm like someone who's dabbled in lettering a little bit. And so that's yeah. one of the things they say is, you know, make, you want, when you letter someone else's work, you want it to look like the artist did it. And that's why yeah. I, that's what stuck out to me about this is that it definitely looks like the artist did it. And it turns out that it was. It's unfortunate. Um, I, I, I'm kind of sad that sometimes when I, I'll get a comic book now and, and the, the special effect doesn't go along with the art it just mm, looks like yeah. it's, it's like it just looks like it's been, it's been pasted right on yeah like there's and no that's, sense that's one of those yeah. things that they say yeah about like bad lettering is bad lettering st- yeah. you know you only notice bad lettering which isn't necessarily true 100 i at least i yeah. don't like that that step for that i don't sure blah, 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 blah. i don't like that phrasing <laughs> but um anyway um yes I, I i wondered about that and then like what went into the um world building about all this and because that's one of the things that i found interesting about what we talked about in the first half is like that a lot of these skills and interests and things that you had all kind of seemed to culminate in kaijus and cowboys yes because um you talked about you're a fan of godzilla you're a fan of yes. robots from like a really young age and yes. then you got into storyboards and very into art and all these things that uh, then you learned about deadlines and collaboration sure. and all these things that seem to have kind of culminated I know. in this specific project. <laughs> and I, think, I think that's really interesting. I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in the universe. Mm-hmm. That's, if I was going to say my spiritual whatever. So I believe in it's the universe. And it's kind of weird that because um, for the longest time, I got away from comic books just because like, mm-hmm. during the years, you know, I was working with all these companies and stuff like that. But you know, there was still the comic book sort of lingered inside of me a little bit. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to find a way to get into it some way. But but it was always that whole thing where I was like, but they don't pay good. Or there's, there's yeah. too much there's too much of that that other stuff, the little politics. I don't know. I don't want to say politics, but I've, I've never been good with that kind of stuff because I've, I've worked when I worked in advertising, it was very straightforward. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you get paid. You do a good job. You get rewarded. We call you back. It's just clear cut. Mm-hmm. They don't dance around anything else. It's none of this, like, what are you feeling? No, none of that. It's just very, and, and to me, I can, I can grasp that better than somebody who's saying you got to be friends to this person or whatever. So to see your book mm-hmm. done. I don't know that, that kind of stuff. I yeah. just don't do good with. So, but I was seeing or hearing about this stuff and I was like, all right, I don't want to deal with that. I'll go back to advertising. So it's kind of wild that somehow I've, I've slowly etched my way back at the ripe age after yeah. 50, I was like, I started finding mm-hmm. my my my. So I can't even talk. Finding my way back into what I love, my passion was comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just lost my thought. <laughs> you're you're good. Um, I we got yeah. we got plenty of other um things we can talk about. Um, because another th- aspect of the book that I I really like is the 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 world building aspect. Okay, there you go. That's what it. That's and yeah, yeah. So like, but. And I, I understand that there's like, you know, there's input from both sides, but like what's gone into like building that up and like, oh. um you know, building this whole thing, because 
you know, every issue starts with um, at least the ones that I've read. All they all start with the same um, preface or however you want to say that the, the prologue, whatever that sure. kind of summarizes everything of the whole story. So you're building on this whole like sure. history of this whole world, and it's all kind of you know culminating in, in this in this story that, that that's taking yeah. place here. But yeah. you've built a really rich world um, of characters and things like that. And so, like, what's what's that been like, and how have oh. you what what have been kind of your main things you looked at when you've been gone into building out this whole thing? Sure. Well, again, that's another technique from the old Bronze Age. I mean, one of the things that I loved about Bronze Age comics was that they treated comic books um, in a way where they said, "Okay, we want to get new readers, but also if a new reader comes into the comic book store, wherever they get the comic book, a spinner rack, and they pick it up." then they need a recap. And that's what he used yeah. to call it, the recap. So sometimes you would see a little small like go. recap of, of the previous issue or the previous story. They'd be like, oh, before pre, you know, before previously, and yeah. then first picked up and then they get the gist and then they go, okay, I want to get the other issues beforehand, just or whatever. Yeah. And that was a great technique. It was almost the same thing like the old, um, and we're talking back in the 40s, 50s, the serials. Like they used to do the serial uh, yeah. movies and stuff like that, where it'd be like, previously on you know that kind of thing yeah. as corny as that sounds it makes sense to me in the sense of when I, when I was in marketing because it's about informing new people not having an expectation that the people who are already invested in what you're doing they're there but you need to get new people to keep this thing going yeah you know it's sort of like a machine you want to keep new people getting it and for those new people not to get lost you yep. know, in 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 stuff. So we 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 definitely wanted to incorporate that kind of feeling in there, so that person gets it. Then they get the, at least the gist of what's going on, even as the journey's already started. Now, um, this way it gets a little iffy because me and Matthew had already been working for a few years on um, a webcomic series called "The Secret Lives of Supervillains," and uh, it did pretty good. It was on Tapas, and I, don't, I think it was on Webtoons for a little bit. But we worked on that for a few years. And then Matthew would come to me and he said, Frank, you know, uh, I got some ideas for some comic book stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. So we did a few and then nothing ever happened. So then I think it was back in 20, I feel like 20, I'll say 2021, maybe 2020, around that time. He came to me and he said, Frank, he said, Frank, I want to do, because he knew that I was really into into Kajus and then Giant Mm -hmm. Robots. He, He knew that already. And um, he said, he said, I want to do something that you look that you would enjoy doing, like you would really get stoked mm-hmm. to do. And so we started going back and forth. And to this day, we still don't know who sort of came up with the, the idea of Kaiser and Cowboys. Yeah. But as soon as it did come up, we loved the name. Mm-hmm. The yeah, name sure. just it just flowed perfectly. Yeah. It was like Kaiser and Cowboys. Definitely. And um and and also I was a little nervous because I was like, I don't know if people and I'm you know my age, but there used to be something called Dinosaurs and Cadillacs. And I think there was a cowboy comic book mm-hmm. with dinosaurs, aliens and cowboys. Sorry, it was aliens yeah. and cowboys. So I was like, okay, so we're not touching too many grounds on that. So anyway, we Matthew sent a rough sort of idea. Now, mind you, actually, I'm I'm all over the place. We did actually do two a couple of stories for this thing called um Team KS1, which was these short little stories that appeared in um, Alterna Comics. It came out on a Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, they, and again, it was dealing with these military um, sort of armored um, people, people in these military suits who were battling against giant kajus. And so I'm just going to say, hypothetically, there might be a connection. <laughs> Don't want to uh-huh. give too much away. But yeah. We we started that was actually probably the first thing actually because we got those in the, into Alterna, but then from there, then came Kajas and Cowboys, and so Kajas and Cowboys it was almost like a you know a nice transition, where um he came up with a rough sort of rough outline of it. He said, okay, Frank, it's such and such a world, blah blah, blah. and he sent it to me, and I said, oh okay. And the first thing that popped in my mind, I remember as I was sitting there and I looked at my my my, my paper, the paper in front of me, and I said, I see, I saw an image of. Clean Eastwood as the man with no, no name. Mm. And then I saw another image of Jet Jaguar. These popped up in my head. And then I saw Jack Kirby's Machine Man. Mm-hmm. And then I just said, I just started drawing. Yeah. And then, then the character B-Win, that's his name, Hunter Bot B-Win, Bot with no name, came into, came literally how you see him, 
is how the first design of the character. Yeah. His hat his the way his hat and design changed, but but definitely that's how the character came out. And then mm-hmm. the dreadlocks was just a natural. I have dreadlocks. So yeah. in my mind, I was like, it'd be kind of cool to see him in silhouetted and you see his dreads kind of moving in the yeah, wind. Yeah, and, yeah. and I was like, all right, dude. I said, that's yeah, got to you know, go it's, in It's there. definitely like a dope character. Like, it's just a good yeah. design, you know, from, from especially because yeah. that's one of the things they say about designing like a character is you want to yeah. have a, like a distinguishable silhouette. And yep. like, it definitely does. But I but I wanted to create, I told him, I said, Matthew, I, I loved, one of the things I loved about the Super Robot shows, like Mazinga Z or mm-hmm. any of those robot shows, that I, one of the things I enjoyed about anime and manga was that the Japanese um, weren't afraid to do bodily harm to their heroes or mm-hmm. to kill their heroes, to, to have these, these strong impact moments in their stories where somebody may die or they may not win, that kind of thing. And I said, I want a character like that. I want, I want it be when mm-hmm. to be a character who is capable, not a nip. I didn't want it to be extremely, because that's another thing that's been bothering me, seeing a lot of Western characters who are like so insanely powerful that it's almost laughable. Like, you can't even yeah. root for the character. Like, if somebody was like, mm-hmm. well, do you want to draw the Hulk? No, I don't want to draw the Hulk. You know, the Hulk yeah. can, I yeah, guess yeah. now he can punch, he can literally punch the earth and it cracks open. You know, he's flying yeah. through space dimension as a ship. I mean, come on, man. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm one of those people where I grew up where I root for the t- two-fisted justice, where characters, he's, he's being beaten down. You yeah, know, exactly. he's taking his, yeah. he's against the ropes. And all of a sudden, yeah. He comes back and then you root for him. Yeah. You're like, yeah, he's coming back. He's fighting. He's using every iota of his strength, yeah. his willpower. That's how I want to be when it be. So I started yeah. thinking about how B1 is. He's capable, like he's his limitations. Um, his body can't get, get crushed. The only thing that he, he wants to make sure to maintain is his skull, his head, because that's where his brain is. If his brain gets destroyed, then it's over. Yeah. But, you know, but if his body, you know, he, he'll keep fighting. He'll keep fighting. Mm-hmm against these various kind of kajus and daikajus. Daikajus are the more giant form of kajus and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I said, I wanted to tell a story that's like that, something yeah. where people can root for the character. And also, I also, it was important to me that all of the characters in the book are important. They have value. Yeah. They have, not important, but they have some level of value. So that means even to the kajus, as people will read the story, I want the people to invest in the in the kajis. I want the people to invest mm-hmm. in, in some of the robots. I want people to say, I, I like that character. I like this one, this other character. Invest in them. I don't want to have throwaway monsters. You know, one of the things I loved about Godzilla was that every monster in there has value. You know, mm-hmm. people, the fandom looks at it and it goes, that's just Jaguar, or that's the smog monster, or that's whatever, because they have value. You yet yeah, Godzilla is the king. But yeah. what about these other characters over there? And and so those were the, the sort of little things that I was sort of injecting in there. And so when I, I would just draw stuff, and then that would inspire Matthew, because then he would look at it and go, oh, my God. And he'll, he'll come back and back and forth. Well, that's another thing that I, I did want to ask about was um, as far as the character goes. Like, how is it like – because it's something I think is difficult or can be difficult is um, you're writing a character that at least for the most part – up until everything I read has been silent. And so like you're what, what's it like writing that character that doesn't say anything, you know, that like, I mean, as far as, especially considering well, well it robot, makes my job, have, it makes my job harder. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And especially Which like, is great. I love that. Yeah. He's a robot. He doesn't have like facial expressions yeah. or anything either to communicate anything. So it's like, I don't know. What's, what's that been like writing a character who you have to, I love like, that. You have to find creative ways to character act for him as, as an artist. Um, I've always said the greatest enemy to an artist is complacency. Mm-hmm. When an artist gets to a point where you're complacent and you're just sort of going through the motion, then it's over. I said, the thing is that you constantly want to be challenging your skills. And that's a challenge. Trying to visually mm-hmm. draw, you know, a character that's not, that's just, that doesn't talk. So you, you learn mannerism. It's almost like, uh, I don't know if you're, you're, you're the Twilight Zone. Did you, you watch the Twilight Zone? Uh, I mean, no. I mean, I, I'm aware. Okay. Of it. I've, I'm familiar right. with it. So there yeah. was this, there was a great episode of the Twilight Zone where I remember when the scene opened up, and you saw a woman with a, a bandages. It was based on the mm-hmm. idea of of ugliness, and this yeah. woman's face is bandaged, right? Because she just had this procedure done. Through the whole show, pretty much a great part of the show, you're seeing the woman's face and it's covered, but then you just see the doctor's hands, and mm-hmm. as he's talking to her. 
this person is literally using his hands to sort of transmit his own emotional state as he's conversing with this woman. It was mm-hmm. skillfully done because the yeah. person who was doing it, the actor, they definitely, they really worked on focusing on his hands. So you see these gestures, mm-hmm. like he's like, oh my God, you stop, that kind of thing. And then finally, at the end of the show, they revealed that this woman who just had a face, because when they put the wrap, pull the wrappings off, she's this gorgeous woman. She's a beautiful woman. But then mm-hmm. the camera pans back and you see the doctor and everybody else, the nurse, everybody, they're just horribly disfigured. Mm, and okay. so she's on a world where beauty is kind of like not the norm. Yeah. yeah. So what gotcha. they do with beautiful people is they put them in these special um, areas to live, these special areas mm-hmm. to live with other beautiful people. And and that's where yeah. they stay. So that was the whole point of the story. Yeah. But but what I remember watching that, it was just so skillfully done. I just loved how they focused on the hands and how they just showed how the, you know, the expressions of it. And I, and to this day, I always think about that. So dealing with B when it's stuck and, and characters like that, I want to show that sense of um, expression, di- uh, dynamic drawing, that kind of thing mm-hmm. to sort of, you know, um, make sure that things aren't stiff. <laughs> a, a robot to yeah. me shouldn't be stiff. It should it shouldn't be like when mm-hmm. Jack Kirby drew Machine Man. That's what I'm thinking of. When Herb Trimpey drew the Shogun Warriors, these are giant robots, but he did not make them stiff. They they move, yeah. they punch, they moved as if there was a human being that was wearing them as armor. Yeah. And and that's that's the kind of stuff that I that goes through my mind in drawing. I, I, I imagine that it's also helpful that we um like that you're it's like it is based on that kind of Clint Eastwood archetype. And so we yes. are kind of familiar with like how he's, you know, supposed to be. And so yes. we kind of get it. So that definitely helps out a lot. But not that's not to um to detract from from what you do and mm-hmm. oh, I wanted I wanted his eyes. I remember sitting back and I started thinking. I said I was thinking on the colors for his mm-hmm. for for the eyes and I said man I started going through different I, I looked up started googling what the color spectrums were and stuff and I landed on green and I forgot I think I wrote my mm-hmm. notes but I landed on green and and once I started when I colored it and saw the eyes and, and there's these green eyes and it's so powerful I was like that's it I said I can imagine it's almost like a little mixture of even a terminator mm-hmm. you know remember when the when it uh T uh T1000 in the first terminator where he's um his endoskeleton when his skin's all burned mm-hmm. off. Yeah. He's just kind of walking through the factory and you get those red eyes, man. Mm-hmm. Those red freaking eyes peering at you. And that's yeah. that's that's what I love about uh the character Bewin and stuff. And he has that almost like that that looks like he's grinning. That was the whole Jet yeah, Jaguar exactly. kind of thing. Like you look like he's grinning. So you can't really read what his emotions are. But but mm-hmm. through his actions, and I think that's another thing that almost goes to like how I feel. Like I've always been a person who believes that actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. People can say anything in the world. They can be like, oh, I love you, and they'll do the most horrible, horrible things ever to you. And and it, that's mm-hmm. just how it is. I'm always been a strong believer that actions speak louder than words. You know, I'm not gonna just sit mm-hmm. there and talk about whether or not I'm gonna give you a comic book. I'm gonna give I'm gonna do that comic book and it is gonna come out. You know, so that's how mm-hmm. I feel how B-Win is. He's more of the actions speak louder than yeah. words kind of thing. And yeah. he'll, his actions will, will belay what the real, what he really, his, his real intent is. Mm, for sure. Um, so as we're kind of running out of time here, I do have a couple more questions. Um, sure. Uh, so the, the one I want to, the last question I want to ask kind of about the book is um, kind of what's kind of the plan going forward? We talked about like when this comes out, it'll be on Kickstarter. Um mm-hmm. But what's the plan as far as you mentioned you're on issue six, you're going for 12 at yeah. least. Um, like as far as I don't know, what, what can you tell us about like sort of the future and where this whole thing's headed? I had a talk. I had a, a me and Matthew had a big talk and I told Matthew, I said, Matthew, I said, because I've been here before at this place because I've had other creators that I work work with and, and on other projects. And I said and one of the major factors why those projects didn't go as far as they did. Was, with, was because we projected too far. We, mm-hmm. we were trying to project something, what the future would be, instead of just living in that moment. And I think that's the thing that we've done, that, that me and Matthew have done. We talked about it, and I said, look, I said, let's just see where we are as, as, it, proje- as it progresses. Because the reality mm-hmm. is that it's going to come down to the fans. 
I mean, yeah. it's really going to come down to people who, who get into it if they like it and they say, hey, look, we want to get more of it. That's the, that, that's the great equalizer right there. You know, I can sit here all day and I can say it's going to keep going on and on. But, I mean, what's going to happen if you just, you're just pumping out books and then nobody's really, yeah, whatever. So, so I, to me, I've, I've tried to work on not projecting too far into the future. We established mm-hmm. a milestone, and that's all I'm locked on to right now is the milestone of yeah. the 12 issues. Now, let's just say, hypothetically, what could happen if we have a successful Kickstarter, people are talking about it and whatever, then we get a publisher. Because we did have a publisher before. Yeah. We had a publisher last year and things didn't work out. And so, you know, we, we said, okay, fine, we, we're going to go the crowdfunding route. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the interesting thing about this whole experience, especially with comic books now, is, you know, you, you could have a book out one year and the next year you could be published by an actual publisher out there. You know, yeah. or somebody could come along and be sniffing. They can say, I want to make, there's a lot of different factors that play in there. I, I'm in the belief that um, right now we're doing, we, we, we're right now at, at, at the place where we need to be, which is create. Let's just yeah. create the story, get the story done, make sure that it's the best that we can do and we feel good about it. And then we'll just see mm-hmm. what lies. We know that we set a milestone marker for ourselves. Once we get to that 12 issues, or even probably closer to the 12 issues, then we can have a, that, that discussion. We can talk. We can look back and look at the numbers and say, well, we got X amount of people that, that got this one. We got X amount of people that like that one. And then you start saying, okay, mm-hmm. let's start thinking about where we can take this further. Yeah. yeah. And that kind of ties back into the kind of what we kind of talked about earlier on and near the beginning is just like, so it kind of brings it all full circle in that mm-hmm. it all kind of comes back to um, you doing something that you're proud of and doing yeah. something that you're that yeah. you want to be doing. Take your time with it. Take your time with it. Patience is truly, I had a, a, a mentor, another, I had a lot of mentors. I had a mentor once told me, he was an older gentleman and he just said, he said, he said, son, patience is a virtue. Now, of course, I'm mm-hmm. 20 years old. I got, I got all the fire in me, you know, mid 20s, actually mid 20s, mid 20s. Yeah. And um, I got the fire in me and I don't want to hear that stuff because I'm young and I want to do stuff and I want to, yeah, rah, rah, rah. well, the reality is, as I've aged, it's true. Patience truly is a virtue. When you take a moment to step back and just breathe and just relax, you can see things much more clearer. You know, you can you can relax yourself. You don't jump as quick at certain things. Um, you just you just go okay. You 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 pace it out to a place where it needs to be. And I'm telling you, once you start doing that, you'll see some miraculous things happen. First off. You'll be able to look at, at what you put out and be proud of it. Because, again, you, you spoke earlier, like, how many of those people that you see who are rushing stuff out, are they really proud of what they're putting out? Mm-hmm. Are they really yeah. invested, really invested in what they're putting out if they're trying to beat the Joneses? Because I think I see too much of that. And it's yeah. unfortunate. I'm, t- I'm tired of seeing people worrying about what the Joneses are doing. I don't worry about the Joneses. All I worry about is what's going on in our house right now. That's all I can do. I can't sit there and I'm happy when, when I see other artists out there that are doing it. I'm like, that, that's grateful. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful to see so many people being creative, getting the art flowing. But I'm not going to I can't sit there and be like, well, what's he doing over there? And yeah. well, he's got his book out. Now I got to try to race. I'm seeing yeah. too much of that. And I'm seeing it um, destroying really good concepts. There's mm-hmm. a lot of great concepts out there, great ideas, and they're just being because what happens is if you give them a few months, a few months, excuse me, then you'll see uh they'll, they'll post that, well, uh, I'm sorry, but we can't get this book out or something. Yeah. There'll be something that'll be a total like opposite of where they started off at. Trust mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Trust me. All it's like I see that so much and I go, oh my goodness, another one. Another mm-hmm. one. So yeah. patience is a virtue. There you go. And you might have just answered my my next question because I always um, end every podcast. Uh, one of the questions I ask people is, um, "What's the best best life lesson you've ever learned?" So I don't know if that's it yeah. or if you got something yeah. else for me. Believe in right. yourself. Well, I would you I would say believe in yourself and, and and believe in yourself and love what you're doing. Feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Just feel good. Not there's nothing. We're not perfect creatures. Human beings aren't perfect mm-hmm. creatures. I'm not perfect. So trying to sit there and, and say your book is going to be the, the perfect thing. I don't know, man. Just enjoy for what it yeah. is and put it out there. And then let others see it. 
Because really, it's going to be the fans. It's going to be the fans who are going to decide on that. Trust me. Because you, mm-hmm. that's what we did. You know, Fantastic Four, X-Men. The X-Men mm-hmm. bombed when they first came out. Read yeah, your history. Exactly. They bombed. <laughs> you look at the books that Marvel and DC were putting out back then. They were putting out romance. They threw everything they could at the wall. Romance novel, war comics, uh, cowboy. They were just like, okay, let's throw something else. But eventually mm-hmm. something hit. Something stuck. Mm-hmm. It took time. So yeah. brace yourself for that time. Just be like, okay, yeah. And and sometimes time can only be maybe a few months. It's mm-hmm. like it could be like, what's six months? What's a year? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Exactly. I think that's really, I think that's really good advice. It's, it's some definitely something I need to hear. It's something I need to be reminded of often. So I'll probably just go back and replay this every time. I need right to, on, right on. A little man. hit. But, um, right on, yeah. We need positivity. Well, the, we we the, need positivity out exactly. there. Exactly. And a lot of these things I feel like aren't talked about because like we've mentioned, everybody's so focused on, and there are, that's not to say there aren't good people out there because there are good people who sure. are focused on like making good stuff. But for the most part, the general vibe at least is that you know, we don't talk about the. That's one of the things that gets me is that we don't talk about like the struggles that we face or yes. like the, yes. the small issues as far as, I don't know, there's a lot of just little things in comics that aren't talked about, like payment and just little yep. things that we don't talk about because yep. it's, oh, we don't want other people to know that we're struggling. And it's just yep. like, no, we can talk about it and share and be a resource for people as yep. opposed to just being, no, look, I'm this, I have this perfect facade set up and yeah. everything I do is great and I have no faults and everyone else who has faults is just, you suck and don't think about it. And Too so, much competition, too much exactly. competition. And the competition, and, there's nothing wrong with it, but when it gets overboard on it, yeah, like art is subjective. And I know I'm getting mm-hmm. long-winded, but just remember that. That's my last thing too. Art is subjective. So the mm-hmm. thing about it is that we, we got to yeah. stop treating it like we're watching a football game. Mm-hmm. This isn't a football game. Everyone has a, everyone's bringing a different note to this song, this symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, me and yeah. Matthew are bringing just one piece of a note to something that is much bigger than ourselves. Yeah. You, you create what you create, you're bringing a note. You're adding your note to it. Mm-hmm. That's, if I'm going to say, if anything I'm fighting for, that would be my legacy. I would there love if I, you know, hopefully I'm going to live a long, I want these dreads to get gray. Great yeah. white, and I and I and it would be nice to be able to have that experience of having somebody who's a youngster go, yeah, you know, I read your thing, man, and it inspired me. Then I can yeah. I can go with a big smile on my face. Yep. And now it's getting dark. <laughs> I didn't cut the lights yeah. on. <laughs> no, right. I'm like I'm slowly vanishing in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. All you can see is my teeth. All you can see is my teeth. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> yeah, we're good. We're good. Um, oh man. As opposed to me, I'm over here. I'm getting washed out by. You're in the light. Time, so it's all right. I'm in the dark. I'm in, I was like cloak and dagger over here. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say half the time my my bald head is too reflective and like my, oh, my whole man. face is all washed out. <laughs> um, but anyway, I like to end every episode with a, a just a random question. And so uh, sure. today's from my uh, list of random questions is: sure. um, What was your um, musical artist of choice in high school? Ooh, oh, boy, like you had you to did. put your number one or like one of your top ones. Uh oh my God! It would have been um, oh his name, John Lennon. John Lennon, okay. John Lennon. Classic. Anything from John Lennon, I would probably say I was listening to. Yeah. yeah. There you go. You know, I, I went through my rap phase too, but yeah, John yeah. Lennon. Well, that right was on. that was in high school. Mine was um, it was like any West Coast hip hop. It was like N.W.A. Right on. Tupac, anything like oh, that. Oh yeah, that that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then now it's kind of, I've mellowed out now, and I've gone more country. More what about the sugar? What about the sugar hell gang? You remember the sugar hell gang? I, I well, that's, that's old too, school. I was too old for me. That yeah. Old, yeah. <laughs> I, the, I, I yeah. just got into it because my friend was in the the gangster app, all that stuff, and yeah. so got into all that, that and stuff. then you know kept me in that. And then lately, um, at least like when I've been working out, Wu Tang's been been up yep. there for me. Was it, I like, I remember the days of freestyling. Chambers. I do miss that. I remember the days of freestyling. Yeah. When well, rap when rap was just like. That. Yeah, when when it was when it was so raw and just see that's what I love as an artist. If I was gonna say as an artist, yes, yes, I I, I do believe in a sense of um, commercial being a commercial illustrator and yes, yeah. I gotta get paid. I mean, I can't you know, but there's that other side of me where I do believe in that sense of art should be this raw. We're rebels. Yeah, 
Yeah. We should be rebels. We should put our work out. I love freestyle. I love when people are just out there just creating that magic and not constrained by some of the unnecessary rules and stuff. You're just like, I'm just yeah. putting my work like graffiti. Like back in the day, you see yeah, exactly. nice graffiti, like dang, but beautiful. And person just put their mark out there on the world and it's there. It's beautiful. It's magical, man. Mm-hmm. So and that's, then, the, well, that's the other side of it. When you, when you start talking about freestyle, it just got me on a whole other thing. And I'm, I'm not going to keep this too long because, like I said, we're getting. Oh, we can always do another one of these. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. All, all I was going to say was um, just when you were talking about freestyle, it made me think of like just goofing off in, free, in high school and just like meeting yeah. my friends freestyling and beatboxing. Yeah. And there's something about that kind of art that yes. like, I miss just being able to like goof off and like make something yeah. with your friends. Cause like we had a little yeah. where we had, there was a, like a youth center and they had like a little mini recording studio. And it's like, nice, just, like nice. make little stuff. And oh. I didn't, but they did, but just like yeah. that kind of stuff, that sense of like camaraderie and like, you know, you could just yep. do whatever. It was just so love that. That's what you were talking about. Freestyle. That's what, that's what I, that's where I went with freestyle. But anyway, um, that's all I have for you. Why don't you go ahead and let the people know where they can find you and Kaijus and Cowboys online. All right. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on TikTok. Um, you can find me on Facebook and pretty much Frankie B. Washington. Um, and I'm also on Tumblr and I have a DeviantArt. If you just Google Frankie B. Washington, I'm going to pop up. You can get to yeah. see all the stuff that I've worked on over the years. Uh yeah, and then Kajus and Cowboys has this uh, the Kickstarter that's coming up April 17th. And then Kajus and Cowboys is also available on Twitter. Um, just again, Kajus and Cowboys. Yep. And, and then um, we'll pop up. Well, yeah. And I was going to say, you'll put, if you're listening to this, you'll see it somewhere online. I guarantee awesome. you. Awesome. It'll pop up. And, it, you know, I'll be sharing it. Everybody, hopefully, everybody will be sharing it. We'll oh, get it fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and um, as always, you guys can find Foreign Press Comics at F Press Comics on Twitter, Foreign Press Comics on Facebook and Instagram, and foreignpresscomics.com, where you can subscribe to our email list and um, like and subscribe, leave a rating, all those fun things. It doesn't hurt you to leave five stars. All, all it does is help me, and it doesn't hurt you. Yes, go do, do that. that. Um, yeah, that, that's what I've been trying to make myself do that. Just like, and like, it's one of those things, like a, a retweet, whatever like you can do, yeah. that helps yeah. an artist. So just go do that. It doesn't hurt. All it does is help me. Um, right on, right anyway, on. Um, that's all I have for you. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thank you. Oh man, this was so much fun. As I slowly fade into the darkness, I think this has been great. Like all of a sudden, I just disappear. Like the invisible yeah, exactly. is a man. I pulled my glasses off. Can't even see my eye. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I see your teeth a little bit, but that's all right. All right. Oh man, <laughs> right on. <laughs> all right. Have a good one. Hey, take care, brother.